20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Happy Thursday. Welcome into another episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Really appreciate you guys being here today. We are one week away from NFL football. It seems so crazy to say Chiefs lines will be here before you know it, and then it'll be Packers Bears in a game that just feels so incredibly important. If you've been involved in the great Bears smack talk wars of 2023, it's going to be a really fun game, really exciting game, and I can't wait to get there. But we've got a ton to go over today. It was a really interesting day in the fact that nothing of like major substance happened but a ton of stuff happened. We woke up to Jonathan Taylor, you know, rumors and news, which we'll go over a little bit. We had a practice that was open to the media for at least a portion of it, which we've got some injury updates from that. A 16-man practice squad was put together. Two new players were claimed to the roster. Two players were released that were on the roster yesterday. Matt Orzik was back with the team. Goody and LaFleur both had press conferences. So a lot took place and there's a ton to go over. Like I said, nothing was like super crazy. It was mostly nondescript, but we'll get into all of it. Like I mentioned, the day started with those Jonathan Taylor rumblings. Could he be a Green Bay Packer? The Green Bay Packers were the mystery team. Of course, when Brian Gutekunst was asked about it, he punted on the question and basically read off his checklist of GM speak things that he's required to say in that situation, can't talk about players on other teams and wants to be involved in all the conversations. And he said it very tongue in cheek, like he knew exactly what he was doing. And he even said like, let me get the, he said something like, let me get the checklist out of like what he needs to go over in those situations. So it was interesting to, to say the least that Jonathan Taylor and those you know, rumblings got brought up to start the day. I did a whole episode on it, so I'm not going to go into it in too much detail right here, but I'll quickly say it's very understandable that if the, you know, maybe Jonathan Taylor had interest in Green Bay or if the Colts called the Packers, that the Packers would have that conversation and at least be involved in it and do their due diligence and see, all right, what is it that you're looking for in return? Jonathan Taylor's contract is very absorbable this upcoming season. And if the Colts are asking for pennies on the dollar in return for a player that's clearly one of the more talented running backs, if not the talented, the most talented running back in the NFL, then you at least ask, right? You at least, you know, see what it takes to, to get, you know, and acquire his services. So that makes sense. However, it doesn't make sense at the same time. And the reason I say that is we know that the Colts are going to want a ton in return for Jonathan Taylor. In fact, on the same day that it sounds like the Packers were announced as the mystery team, we also found out that they were asking the Miami Dolphins for Jalen Waddle in return. So if that is the starting conversation, I think Brian Gutekunst, if he was even on the phone at that time, probably didn't last very long on the phone if that's the sort of compensation that they were looking for in return. You just also look at Green Bay's roster right now. It's the youngest roster in the league and Jonathan Taylor is still 24, so it fits within that. But, you know, he does not fit the timeline. You're trying to get fiscally responsible, young, and open up a next window. While Jonathan Taylor could theoretically fit within that window due to his age, paying a running back an exorbitant amount of money when you have Aaron Jones on a big contract right now. He's about to turn 30. AJ Dillon's going to be a free agent next year. The timing just isn't right. You're not matching up adding a big player to your roster with 
you're open, like trying to open a championship window. Those two things just don't align. And it's really important that those things do ultimately end up aligning. And one of the worst things that you can do is give huge assets for a running back that you have to give a massive contract to. So I can understand why they would maybe consider it. You know, once again, if they're involved in the conversation and it's a cheap deal, like so be it. Like then, of course, you take advantage of it. But I can also understand. All right, maybe AJ Dillon is swapped in return. You can team Jonathan Taylor and Aaron Jones together for a season. Jones probably gone then next year as a thirty-year-old back with a huge contract. You probably move on. Jonathan Taylor becomes the guy. You take off some of the burden from Jordan Love. And you also maybe get some teams out of that too high safety look because they have to come down in the box and stop Jonathan Taylor. So I can understand the thinking a little bit, but the timing just isn't right. The financial aspect of it just isn't right. And I just don't see it happening in any way, shape or form. So an interesting way to start the day. I'd be shocked if Jonathan Taylor is a Packer at any point this season. The trade could still take place. The trade deadline's not done. He will start the first four games of the season on the physically unable to perform list in Indianapolis. And we'll see what ultimately happens. But like I said, I'd be shocked if he ends up in Green Bay in any capacity and do not expect that to happen at any point this season. All right. Meanwhile, the first thing we learned is that the Packers did not have any players that they released that were claimed by any other team. So we go over this every year and most franchises and most fan bases go through this as well, where everyone overvalues their own players. I talk about it, you know, the last couple of years, you end up usually with about 12 to 16 guys that are claimed in any given year. This year had a little bit more, 24 players were claimed this year. All right. So if you put that into perspective and kudos to Nick Corte of Over the Cap for putting this out, 851 players were released, 851, 24 were claimed, 2.82% of all players who were cut were claimed by a team on Wednesday. So the odds that one of your players is going to get claimed is extremely, extremely minimal. And in this case, Green Bay did not have any players claimed. Now, if maybe they would have released one of their better players that they actually kept, then maybe one of them would have. But it just is, it's very unlikely more often than not that a player that you end up releasing gets claimed by another team. It just, it's, the, the odds are small. And again, 2.82% of all players. And in this case, Green Bay did not have any players claimed. However, however, they did claim two players off of waivers. And we talked about, I talked about three positions. I think it was yesterday, right? Talked about corner, safety, and tight end. Those are the three positions I thought Green Bay could attack via waivers and try to supplement their roster a little bit. Well, what do they do? They claim a tight end and they claim a safety. Let's start with the tight end first, which is the one I'm definitely far more excited about. And that is Ben Sims, a tight end out of Baylor. He was a rookie this year. He was in for a pre-draft visit in one of their top 30 visits. 6'5", 250, was a redshirt senior again out of Baylor. 8.35 relative athletic score, so an 83rd percentile athlete. Ran a 4.5840. He was an undrafted free agent for the Vikings, had a 64.7 PFF grade and 86 preseason snaps for Minnesota. To put that into comparison, Tucker Craft had a 45.6 grade and 86 snaps. Luke Musgrave, who we all love, had a 66.3 grade in 77 or excuse me, 75 snaps. So a 64.7 grade, nothing to sneeze at for a rookie tight end in any capacity. And he actually had a handful of really nice run blocking reps as well. Not just not just pass catching. I was more impressed, in fact, by some of those than I was by his, his pass catching prowess in preseason. 
This was his scouting report by Lance Zerline coming out of college. And again, this was this year's draft pick, right? Or, or undrafted free agent. So this is the scouting report from Lance Zerline, who does a tremendous job over for NFL.com. Tight end with average size and talent as a run blocker, but the tools to get a little bit better in that area. Baylor frequently used Sims as a wing back who was asked to base block, lead block, and get into space on outside zone. As a pass catcher, he lacks separation and the talent, excuse me, as he lacks separation talent and is going to get what is given to him by the defense. Sims average traits means he will likely need to be a in a favorable situation to make a roster. So that was the, the scouting report from Lance Zerline. When I watch Sims and I watched him, I, normally I'm not going to you know, scout or look at a late seventh round or undrafted free agent tight end. But because he was a top 30 visit for Green Bay, I absolutely threw the tape on pre-draft and I had a draftable grade on him. In fact, one of the things I was surprised about, especially with him being a top 30 visit and Green Bay liking those guys so much, was that the seventh round came with four seventh round selections for the Packers and that they did not sign or not draft Sims with one of those four selections. That was surprising to me because I had a draftable grade on him. I was really impressed by his college shape. And I think he has a really nice blend of overall athleticism. We talked about him being a high-end athlete, right? Per his relative athletic score. We talked about some of the run blocking ability that he has, and Lance Erline went over that in his scouting report. And he's got some nice pass catching ability as well. So is this a high-end prospect? No, it is not. Do I think he can work his way into a well-rounded tight end who can do a little bit of blocking, pass catching, special teams, etc.? Yeah, I really, really do. So he's a fun player. And like I said, I had a draftable grade on him, seventh round grade on him coming out of college. And I like this signing for Green Bay. And clearly they liked him too, because he also had a $100,000 guarantee on his, his, um, you know, his salary cap. So like on his, his contract. So when you claim the player, you absorb whatever contract was taken over. You do not have to take over any signing bonus money. Whatever team signed him originally has to take that all on and that becomes a cap hit for them. But you take on the remainder of the contract when you claim him. And he had $100,000 of guaranteed base salary on his deal. So Green Bay takes that over. So they are committed to him in some capacity, at least $100,000 worth into him at this point. And the only way they would get off of that is if they would waive him and another team would claim him and then they would take on that responsibility. But really fun pickup there. And I'm, I'm just excited to see what he can do in Green Bay, how they use him. Is he active the first game? Probably more of just a special teams guy, but a fun signing overall. The other player that they claimed was safety Zane Anderson. He was an undrafted free agent out of BYU in the 2021 draft. 6'2", 206 pound redshirt senior at the time. He is now 26 years old. 8.24 relative athletic score. So 82nd percentile athlete at safety. Ran a 4.4440. That's a lot of fours. A 4.44 40 yard dash. He had fantastic agility scores. He was an undrafted free agent for the Chiefs originally. This past offseason, he signed as an unrestricted free agent with the Buffalo Bills. He was recently waived, which is why the Packers were able to claim him. He had a 57.8 PFF grade in only 36 preseason snaps at safety. He has one regular season NFL snap on defense to his name, has 109 career special team snaps per PFF. And those 24, he had 24 special team snaps in preseason this year with a 67.1 grade per PFF. This was his scouting report, once again, per Lance Zerline. Then this was from two years ago when he was a, a draft pick. This is not a recent scouting report. This is from his rookie year. 
Oft-injured safety with experience in a variety of schemes and the athletic ability to offer some versatility. The measurables were great at his pro day, but he doesn't play to his size, lacking tackle strength and heavy pads. Anderson can gain ground from high safety with a smooth pedal and has the hips to transition and adequately chase routes. These There aren't enough instincts for NFL ball production though, and his run support success is below average against lesser competition. His special team's background and impressive testing could get him into camp if teams are okay with his medical evaluation. So that was the scouting report. This one is a little bit more interesting to me. I thought maybe if they're going to claim a safety that's primarily like a special team safety, would they let go of Dallin Levitt? Maybe Jonathan Owens? Was this maybe a replacement for Anthony Johnson Jr.? I didn't think that was going to be the case, quite frankly, but I could have seen a world where probably not Levitt either, but I thought maybe Jonathan Owens. But the truth is, is this is, is more of a special teams play here as well. And you've got Dallin Levitt, you've got Rudy Ford, you, you now have you know Zane Anderson. You've got a lot of these type of just special teams guys. And at 26 years old, in year three, not quite as much upside or long-term play. Like this seems legitimately more of just a special teams play. Now you're keeping a six safety on the roster. I would have expected them just to maybe keep a Tariq Carpenter or a Jonathan Ford instead of going in this direction, especially when Tariq Carpenter can play special teams as well. But they like something clearly, and we'll see if he can bring anything to the table. I like the tight end signing a lot more, but willing to you know give Zane Anderson the benefit of the doubt and see what he can ultimately bring to the Packers moving forward. Meanwhile, because they did need to, you know, or they did claim those two players, they did need to release two players. I just sort of spoiled it for you, but Tariq Carpenter and Jonathan Ford are the two players that they ultimately released. Two seventh round picks from 2022. Both of them could be brought back to the practice squad if they do not get claimed by other teams. I don't think either will get claimed by other teams. I do think it's much more likely that Jonathan Ford is back with the team. I talked about Tariq Carpenter a little bit the other day. I don't think he's super pumped about being a linebacker. I think he wants to be a safety and it would not shock me if he said, hey, I appreciate it, but I'm going to go sign with another team's practice squad who is going to give me the ability to go and play safety for them. And if you're going to keep me at linebacker, I'd prefer to go somewhere else. That wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if he's back with Green Bay either. You know, a lot of times you just stick with a team that you're used to. So that is well within the realm of possibility. And if they do want both back, just because they filled 16 guys on the practice squad right now, and then with only one spot remaining, doesn't mean that they can't release one of the guys that they signed to the practice squad on Wednesday. So don't be surprised if they try to get both of those guys back. Don't also be surprised if it's just Jonathan Ford that is back with the team. Hello friends, as many of you know, a few years back the Milwaukee Bucks were in the NBA Finals and I desperately wanted to go to Game 6 in Milwaukee to see them win the championship. As you can imagine, prices were insane and I kept going back and forth with different apps to try and find the cheapest tickets possible. I finally found them, clicked purchase, and of course they were gone. Goodbye Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Now thankfully, the day of the game I was able to find a ticket, but the entire thing was so expensive and way too stressful. I really wish I could have simply used Game Time to alleviate all of the stress and all of the hassle. I've started using Game Time app for purchasing all of my tickets, and I wish I would have done so sooner. From low prices to easy to find tickets to last minute ticket deals, the Game Time app is perfect for all of my ticket needs. Game Time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. 
The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and roll for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account and use code packaday for $20 off your first purchase. That's code P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code packaday for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Hello, friends. First of all, I just want to say thank you for listening to and being a supporter of the Packaday podcast. You've all helped make Packaday one of the most downloaded sports podcasts in the world today, and I want to sincerely thank you for that. For those of you who don't know, Packaday is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. It's our partnership with Blue Wire that allows us to bring you this amazing Packers content 365 days a year. Blue Wire currently has over 300 shows with former athletes, celebrities, media professionals, and passionate fans like us. Over the past few years, they've raised over $10 million to grow and operate business and support podcasts like the Packaday Podcast. Now, Blue Wire is raising another round of funding by utilizing WeFunder. This funding will help support Blue Wire's sales team and improve operations. This is giving everyone the opportunity to be a part of a growing company. This is not a donation. You are literally investing to own a piece of Blue Wire. A few years ago, I took the leap and started partnering with Blue Wire, and it was one of the best decisions that I've ever made. I'm hoping you'll consider doing the same. If you would like to be part of the Blue Wire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash bluewire. That's wefunder.com slash bluewire. And remember, supporting Blue Wire is another way to support the Packaday podcast and our Packaday podcast team. Thank you. They also did put together a 16-man practice squad. They do have the ability to keep 17 because Kenneth Odomegwu is one of the 16 they brought back, and they do have the International Pathway Program exemption to use on him, so he doesn't count for one of the 16 practice squad spots. They get an extra one, but here were the 16 players that they brought back. Tight end Austin Allen, corner Corey Ballantyne, edge rusher Keyshawn Banks, wide receiver Grant Dubow, so that was the big one. He was sort of the semi-surprising release on uh, cut down day, you question maybe would some team take a flyer on him? I didn't think so because he's a late seventh round pick. I think he was their last seventh round pick if memory serves. And he didn't do anything really in training camp OTAs and only had the two preseason games. One of them was very nondescript at best. So it didn't shock me that he didn't get claimed, but that was kind of the one that you really wanted to see back. James Empey, Innis Gaines, Alex Magoo, Known on Alex Magoo, he is now number two. Not trying to rhyme, but it just happened that way. Alex Magoo, now wearing jersey number two, no longer wearing jersey number 17, which makes sense. He had to switch jerseys because Anders Carlson is number 17. And now that you don't have a thousand players on the roster, you don't want to double up jersey numbers anymore. So Anders Carlson will stay 17. Alex Magoo goes to number two. Bo Melton back on the practice squad. Aaron Mosby. Kenneth Odomegwu, who we mentioned, Henry Pearson is back, which is awesome to see, Benny Sapp, Chris Slayton, Patrick Taylor, Kadeem Telfort, and Keandre Thomas. So just running through those one more time, Austin Allen, Corey Ballantyne, Keyshawn Banks, Grant Dubose, James Empey, Innis Gaines, Alex Magoo, Bo Melton, Aaron Mosby, Kenneth Odomegwu, Henry Pearson, Benny Sapp, Chris Slayton, Patrick Taylor, Kadeem Telfort, and Keandre Thomas. So 16 spots filled, one remaining. You would expect one of those probably to go to the, the two guys we just mentioned. And then if they wanted the second one back, they'd have to release one of the guys we just went through on the 16-man practice squad. I think one of the big takeaways from the practice squad is they were able to get three of their corners back. And that was super important with only having four corners on the active roster. Eric Stokes is on the pup list. You needed to have some guys that you could call up in case of emergency, as well as probably for, you know, um, 
special teams purposes. So Corey Ballantyne, they get back. Ennis Gaines, they get back. Keandre Thomas, they get back. All of those three players are comfortable, very comfortable playing special teams. All of them are corners. Gaines can play some safety. So I think it's, I think it was really important that they got some of those guys back that know the system, that have played, that have played special teams, that are familiar with Passaccia. I thought that was probably one of the biggest takeaways from putting the practice squad together other than getting Grant DuBose back as well. And really, I think nice to see Bo Melton back because he he was a player that I think we all thought was going to be in the conversation for the number six wide receiver spot. The injuries really derailed him as well. So seeing him back, I think is a net positive as well. Players who are not back on the roster, on the practice squad that were released and are just at this point completely gone. Shamar Jean Charles, who signed with the 49ers practice squad. Nate McCrary, Jadakus Bonds, Dre Miller, Deuce Watts, Cody Kress, Cole Schneider, Gene DeLance, Jason Luan, Antonio Moultrie, Jimmy Phillips, Marvin Pierre, Elijah Hamilton, William Hooper, and Tyrell Ford. I'll gladly own my mistake on this one. I thought for sure, and I mean for sure, that Jadakus Bonds would be back on the practice squad. I, I was really impressed by the flashes that he showed at practice. I don't know. They they clearly saw something that they didn't like. I saw a few plays where he blocked extremely well. I saw possession catches over the middle. I saw three explosive plays just this past week, including in the preseason game. I I would have I would have easily kept Jadakus Bonds on the practice squad. Does it ultimately matter all that much? It really doesn't. But I'll own that one. I thought he'd be back. I, I locked him in. I said lock up Jadakus Bonds on the practice squad. I think probably the fact that they got, you know, Grant DuBose and Bo Melton back maybe made it a little bit redundant that they didn't need a third practice squad wide receiver. Even still, thought he was going to be back. He is not. But those are the players who are no longer on the roster in any capacity. Meanwhile, Tyler Goodson, Lou Nichols, and Broughton Hatcher, who were waived injured, were back on the injured, you know, on IR, basically. So they are on IR. They which is the procedure here. You waive them injured, nobody claims them, they go on IR, and then you figure out settlements after that. So don't expect Goodson, Nichols, and Hatcher to be back. They cannot be brought back from IR. They're just going to have to work out injury settlements and then are free to sign with other teams at that point. Meanwhile, Matt Orzik was brought back later in the day. It was interesting because he wasn't in the press releases and he wasn't at practice and it you know you would just expected him to be back. And then all of a sudden we're all leaving the the portion of practice that w- was open to us. We're heading back towards Lambeau, and here's Matt Orzik coming after everyone else has been practicing for a half an hour. Matt Orzik is coming through the parking lot and going over to practice with the rest of the team. So clearly the paperwork went through at some point, and he's going to be back with the team. I would expect that Luke Tenuta moving to IR will be the corresponding move for that one. Speaking of practice, maybe the biggest takeaways were the players that were not practicing at the open portion of practice that was open to the media. They were not in pads. Devondre Campbell, at linebacker, Henry Pearson at fullback on the practice squad. Eric Stokes still on pup, of course. Luke Tenuta, who I expect to be placed on IR on Thursday. Romeo Dobbs was still not practicing. Dontavian Wicks was not practicing. And then David Bakhtiari had another routine maintenance rest day, whatever you want to call it. The good news, Bo Melton, practice squad guy, but still nice to see him back practicing. So he was full, go, at least full go on the portion that we were there for and was back in pads. So that's nice to see. Zane Anderson and uh, Sims were not there yet, so they had to still pass their physicals and everything like that. So not surprising. They got claimed early in the morning, so there's not really any way they could have been to Green Bay by the time practice started. We'll see if they are there on this morning, Thursday's practice. 
Meanwhile, Sean Clifford looked totally fine throwing the football. Remember, he got his arm banged up pretty decent in that preseason game and had to come out of the game. They mentioned that it was just precautionary that he could have gone back in, but great to see him back out there throwing with no issues in any way, shape, or form. Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekinds both held press conferences. Nothing really of note here. The one quote from Goody that got a little bit of traction, which was interesting, he was he, they, they both got asked over and over about the youth of the roster and those sort of things. And Goody had the great quote saying, quote, intention was not to be young. It was to be athletic and fast. So there you have it. Wasn't a specific intention to be the youngest team in football. They're trying to be the most athletic and fast team in football. And in order to do so, Goody clearly thought that they needed to go a little bit younger. In Matt LaFleur's press conference, it was noted that Rashawn Gary will need to be on a pitch count starting, you know, when he starts the season, that is expected, but I guess noteworthy nonetheless. And he was asked about Romeo Dobbs, kudos to Matt Schneidman for trying to work his way around the don't ask about injury stuff, but LaFleur didn't go for it and had no comment on Romeo Dobbs. And we're just gonna have to wait for the injury report next week, but he was not practicing. Hopefully it is not something that lingers and hopefully he is able to play against Chicago. A lot of small takeaways from the day, no huge, crazy takeaway, no huge movement. I thought the big ones is Romeo Dobbs still not practicing, and that's going to be an injury that we have to monitor through the course of the next week and a half. Very intrigued by Ben Sims, the tight end claim. Had a nice preseason with Minnesota. We'll see what he can do in Green Bay. And then Tariq Carpenter, Jonathan Ford, both released. Do either of them come back to the practice squad on Thursday? That's going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Make sure to subscribe if you have not already. Hit those likes, those comments. Do everything you can to help that algorithm out. I'll see you guys tomorrow, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.